Are you a business owner worried about the safety of your sensitive data? Look no further than Midwest Data Depot, your local off-site backup storage solution. Contact us today. Call 574-855-8588. Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recording. This is Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Never say never, but never. I plan on leading this team with an unwavering standard. Everybody love everybody. We will call it the golden standard. And this is the standard that will drive this football program to its 12th national championship. With Sean Styers. I like that guy. Yeah, what you could do is, is you could have a barbecue on that it's head. It's a good time, you know what I mean? On Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. He's running down the middle by the 50. He's bare-chested and banging his chest. They're chasing him. They're not going to get him. And now your host, Sean How we doing today? Welcome to the Wednesday edition of the show. Another gorgeous day outside. Another chance to enjoy it later tonight at Four Winds Field when the South Bend comes. Host the Fort Wayne 10 Caps. They're on a roll right now. Seven straight they've won after a walk-off home run by Matt Mervis last night. They were down by five runs in the six. Rally late, so exciting times going on. Seven straight wins for the South Bend Cubs. 7.05 first pitch tonight. 6.45 6.45 pregame with Brennan and Max right here on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. Chicago Cubs playing uh, the final game of their series right now out in San Diego. They trail 2-1 to one in the bottom of the third inning. So the ACC is holding its uh, meetings this week in Florida. And uh, as you can probably imagine, name, image, and likeness is the predominant topic out there. I mean, you know, it's been pretty much one of the national hot button topics for the past couple of weeks, especially, you know, since like we're out of spring football and NFL draft is over and all that. But it's I mean, it's basically been on steroids since the story came out nearly a couple of weeks ago about the Pittsburgh wide receiver Jordan Addison and the reported three million dollars in NIL inducement that uh had him transferring to USC without him even being in the transfer portal at the time and now he's in the portal he got his name in before the deadline but he still hasn't transferred anywhere as of now but as of now everyone's talking nil what do we do how do we deal with it you know how do we get this all under control good luck with all that but fortunately for us up steps to the microphone mike bray second longest tenured men's basketball coach in the acc And uh, he did a little media drive-by yesterday in Florida at the ACC meetings, and he lit up social media with a couple of quotes, and he's got everybody talking now. Here's the money quote from Mike Bray. Quote, we've got to stop complaining. This is the world we're in, and the last time I checked, we make pretty good money, so everybody should shut up and adjust, end quote. I mean, you just got to love it, (laughs) right? (laughs) I mean, maybe you do, maybe you don't, but you do, right? You got to love it. Bray's comments, you know, they come after earlier this week, NCAA Division I Board of Directors, they published new guidelines um, to clarify that boosters, including recently created companies designed to provide athletes at a particular school with endorsement deals, Texas A&M, They should not have any contact with prospective college athletes or their family members or other representatives of their family. So no contact prior to, you know, transfers, signing a uh, national letter of intent, any of that stuff. So the board of directors says the NCAA could pursue sanctions, not will, could produce sanctions, pursue sanctions against anyone who has egregiously violated these rules in the past 10 months since NIL rules were changed. Not changed, introduced, but it's likely to focus more on issues that come up in the future. So, you know, that's that's just a thing in itself right there. But Bray goes on to say he's very doubtful the NCAA will be able to police NIL in any meaningful way. Agree with that. Show of hands, yes, yes, yes. Uh, He believes the responsibility is ultimately going to fall to the individual conferences with each deciding their own NIL regulations. But uh, that takes us back to Bray's initial uh, comment. We've got to stop complaining. This is the world we're in. Last time I checked, 
We make pretty good money, so everybody should shut up and adjust. I love the pragmatism there. And, you know, he's right. Coaches, administrators, fans, media, we can all complain, pound the table all we want. I just don't see anything changing anytime soon. Um, You know, these rules, the NCAA says they could enforce. And, you know, again, that's the key word, could, not we will, we're going to. We could enforce them. They were already there. You know, they're they're basic recruiting rules. But the NCAA just decided to dust off the old antiquated rule books they pulled off the shelves the other day and say, hey, we found some new rules here, guys. You know, we're let's let's maybe we should enforce these. You know, they're they're just like Kevin Bacon at the end of Animal House. You remember that? You know, remember he's out there after the Deltas blew up the parade with the car and all that stuff, and Kevin Bacon's wearing his Rotsy uniform and he's standing there in the street yelling, all is well. Keep calm. You know, remember that right up until he's run over by the panic crowd. <laughs> he's just bull rushed and and he's flattened out. That's the NCAA right now. All is well. No, it's not. You know, they, they don't have it under control, you know, and Mike Brain nailed it. The coaches all make really good money. The administrators are all making really good money. And of course, the NCAA makes boatloads of money. You know, remember that $8.8 billion March Madness TV contract extension the NCAA saw, signed not that long ago? Money's always been there for the NCAA and the schools and the coaches. You know, now they, they knew how to control that, but now they have a system they can't control because of their own doing. Again, NCAA has backed itself and put itself in this place because Mark Emmert decided to keep his head in the sand for as long as possible and try to avoid NIL rather than crafting some NIL legislation that would outline maybe some rules up front. They tried to avoid all this and then their hands were forced because the states started going to court and, you know, that basically this came from the state legislatures. But the, the system has never been fair, but fair has never been the point of anything, really. Life's never been about what's fair. It's only about what's feasible. And that's essentially what Bray is saying. You know, he knows that he and all the other coaches have had it pretty good for a long time. They've essentially controlled the narratives. You know, remember the days when a coach could decide where a kid could could transfer to and and that kind of thing? And, you know, they obviously they used to have to sit out if they transfer. You know, all that stuff is out the window now, you know. What's one of the things that you can judge a coach by, though? How they adjust once a game starts. Right, Every coach has a game plan going in. Look how Bill Self adjusted in the national championship game what, a couple of months ago. Now, has it been? I guess just a little bit more than a month ago. But remember how he adjusted first half to second half. They were getting killed, and you know they make an adjustment. Boom, they end up winning the national championship. Just like Mike Tyson says, everyone's got a plan until they're punched in the face. And then what do you do? You've got to adjust. The NIL has punched everyone in college athletics in the face. Everyone except the players, because now they actually have some power in this system. So you got to get used to it. It's not going away. It's time to adapt or die. And by the way, here's another line from Bray (laughs) while he was holding court with the media at those ACC meetings yesterday. Quote, one of my assistants came in and said, hey, coach, I want you to know I get up every morning. I read the Bible. Then I check the portal. I said, Switch the order, my man, end quote. That's, again, from Mike Bray. I think he's used that before, like he's you know when he's been out on, on the tour. I think I've seen that one and, and heard that one from Mike Bray before, but it's still a good one, and I would probably agree with that. You get up in the morning, you check that portal right away. You know you can still, still use a big man or two, right? Still use a, a point guard or a shooting guard. So, yeah, but uh, still a good one from Mike Bray. Well, remember the movie Rain Man, Tom Cruise, Dustin Hoffman? It's been a while since I've seen it, but if you saw it, Dustin Hoffman plays the long-lost autistic brother of Cruise named Raymond, which becomes Rain Man as his, you know, as his brother played by Cruise when they were young, you know, before they were separated. But, you know, Raymond loves a lot of things, the people's court, time for Wapner. He loves getting his underwear at Kmart, which prompts Cruise's character's response Kmart sucks, Ray. (laughs) And so a couple of things on this. One, I would submit 
that even though Hoffman won the Oscar for his performance, it was actually Cruz who had the better acting performance in Rain Man. I'll, 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 I'll die on that hill. Two, Cruz was right. Kmart sucks. And I used to work at Kmart in high school, so don't at me on that one. I don't want to hear, and I don't think I'm going to get too many complaints on that. But you get what you pay for. Besides the icy machines, you know, if your stuff, you get your stuff at Kmart, you're going to have Kmart quality stuff. And right now, the Chicago Cubs are Kmart. They went out. They did blue light special shopping in the offseason. They're getting blue light special returns on the field right now. You know, they passed on their homegrown big ticket guys, Javi Sanchez, Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, Kyle Schwarber, when they traded them all last summer before the deadline. And their answer was to try to pass off bargain aisle players like Frank Schwindel and Patrick Wisdom as, you know, somehow that's Macy's merchandise that they're rolling out there. And they signed Marcus Stroman. And, you know, they went out and got Seiya Suzuki to at least make it look like they're not completely tanking. You know, he had a really good start, but even he's struggling right now as well, you know, which tends to happen. You know, guys get, you know, again, adjustments, right? The league adjusts, and now Suzuki has got to adjust back. But they've got the third worst record in the National League, sixth worst record in baseball right now. It's uh, pretty far removed from the championship team of just six years ago. And here's the reality of the Cubs. They're the marquee team in the third largest market in the country. But they have the 18th highest payroll out of 30 big league teams. 18th highest out of 30 big league teams. Their payroll comes to 96 million bucks a year, but most of it is wrapped up in Jason Hayward, Kyle Hendricks, Wilson Contreras, and Suzuki. And really, more than a fourth of it is wrapped up in Jason Hayward alone. That is still the albatross. That is still their biggest problem. 24 million of the 96 million dollar team payroll. Jason Hayward is cashing those checks. And Jason Hayward is just the ultimate Neiman Marcus body with blue light special playing ability, especially when it comes to hitting, right? And I think we can all probably agree on that. But if you take away Hayward's salary, they're only committing $74 million to the other 25 guys on the roster. And $14 million of that is going to Hendricks. So if you took out Hayward, their payroll ranking drops down to around 23rd or 24th out of 30 teams, which is down there with all the small, small market clubs you know, that are used to, used to shopping at Kmart, getting the blue light specials. But what's even more telling, though, I think, and I said this last summer when they traded away Baez, Rizzo, and Bryant, the payroll is sunk to blue light special levels, but the attendance at Wrigley where do you think it is? Where do you think it is? It is still very strong. Crappy weather and all so far. The Cubs currently ninth in baseball in attendance. And it's just started to get nice in Chicago. And they haven't even been home for the nice weather yet. They're in San Diego right now. But they are still in the top third in attendance in all of baseball, despite the fact that their payroll is in the bottom third of baseball. They're putting a garbage product, Kmart product on the field, but they are still cashing those checks as people continue to come through the turnstiles. You know, the first place Angels, first place in the AL West, located in sunny Southern California, they're averaging only about 100 fewer fans per game than the Cubs so far. The Cubs have better attendance than four of the six division leaders in baseball Yankees and Dodgers only division leaders with better home attendance than the Cubs right now and you know again that's when the weather wasn't even good in Chicago the turnstiles are only going to keep spinning more as school gets out the weather keeps warming up what's my point Ricketts family doesn't care because it's just a business to them they know what other Cubs owners have known for a long time they don't have to put a passable product on the field for fans to show up that's where you are right now because they know Wrigley Field is as much a tourist attraction as it is anything else you know people will come dog and a beer all that stuff they can keep putting that Kmart product on the field fans are going to keep showing up like it's Tuesday at Macy's and they're going to line their pockets and laugh all the way to the bank and I know the company line is they're waiting for a couple of years for these prospects to make their way to Sheffield and Addison and all that kind of stuff but what they won't say out loud is they're also waiting for another year until that albatross of a Hayward contract is finally gone. You know, that 
that it, that that does have impact on some of this. They were snake bitten by that. They're overpaying one guy, and they're waiting for that to go off the books. But that doesn't make you any more competitive right now. But they think that they can still fall back on, well, we won a World Series six years ago. So what difference does it make? We'll keep cashing our checks. We'll save ourselves some money. You know, we we didn't completely cash it in like we did, you know, back in the first few days of Theo Epstein. We, you know, we signed Marcus Stroman and, you know, we went out and paid some money for Suzuki. And to their, they did sign Suzuki. But again, he's got to prove what he is. As of right now, you know, again, first couple weeks, really got your money's worth. But now he's just another bargain basement guy that you're overpaying until he starts producing again. But, you know, are they really going to go out and bring in a John Lester or two to augment their young talent once that young talent does get to the big leagues within the next year or two? It, you know, it, the, the thing is, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Look at the New York Mets. New York Mets didn't go out and do anything crazy. Look where they are right now. Now, again, it's early. But they got a new manager. They're sitting in first place. They play a different kind of game. You, can, you know, you got to like what's going on there in Queens right now. But, uh, you know, the Cubs, they won a championship without paying any of that young talent anything. So the Cubs have really been bargain shopping for a long time, but now they've taken it to another level, the blue light special level, and that's the kind of product that you're seeing on the field. They are, the uh, the team on the field is right now tied at two with the Padres in the top of the fourth inning. Wilson Contreras with a first inning home run, and Patrick Wisdom with an RBI as well. So it is two to two. Out in San Diego as the Cubs try to win that series. White Sox and Guardians will not play today. Uh, that game postponed due to multiple positive COVID-19 tests in the Guardians organization. Major League Baseball made the announcement earlier today. No postponement date has been announced. But uh, they announced earlier today that Guardians manager Terry Francona tested positive for COVID-19. He'd be sidelined indefinitely. Uh, he hasn't shown any symptoms, I guess, but, uh, you know, so between him and then uh, I guess a few other positives, they shut it down. And uh, again, no makeup date yet has been announced. We're going to take a timeout. When we come back, we will be joined by the new Mishawaka Boys basketball coach, Bodie Bender. He was just introduced at a press conference at Mishawaka High School at the Cave earlier this afternoon. Bodie will join me next. It is Budweiser's weekday sports beat brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Sports fans, this Bud's for you. Tim Grahl State Farm Insurance. Save money on home and auto insurance with Tim. Serving both Indiana and Michigan. Call 574-232-9981. Barnabies of Mishawaka and Granger. Serving our community while serving Michiana's most favorite pizza since 1978. And the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger's a story we can end. Find out how at Feed Indiana. Org. Buddy Bender, the new Mishawaka Boys basketball coach, joins me next on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat continues on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. Well, earlier today over at the cave at Mishawaka High School, they introduced a new boys basketball coach. His name is Bodie Bender. He went to high school at Jimtown, went to college at Ball State, and uh, has had a few different, uh, had a few different assistant coaching positions before he was the head coach at Carroll High School for the last four years, where they won a regional, went all the way to semi-state uh, this year, and now he is the head coach at Mishawaka High School. I guess it it becomes official here. What within an, maybe 30, 40 minutes, something like that. Is that right, Bodie? That's correct. That is correct. <laughs> the uh, the school board school board agenda has uh, <laughs> has uh, his name on it, so it became pretty obvious what was going on there. What's tell me what's it what's a day like this like for you? You know, you kind of whisk around. You come in and you've got a press conference, and I think you met with the team after the press conference, and now you right. got the you know the school board tonight. What's what's this day kind of been like for you? Um, it's it's exciting. Um, a new challenge. Um, you know, obviously doing the press conference at the cave and, um, you know, like I've, I've told some people already, um, after the press conference, you know, you go through the sectional, you go through the regional, you go through the semi-state, you, 
you might have a one-on-one or you might have, you know, a phone <laughs> interview like this. Man, that's that's about as cutthroat as I've had as far as an interview with, I don't know, two or three TV stations there. You were up there, um, you know, and then, you know, Chuck Freebie was there. So right. we had a bunch of people there, and it, it was it was uh, a little cutthroat for me, um, <laughs> but it was fun, um, and just I'm, I'm just looking forward to get going here. Yeah, what was that? What was that first meeting with the team like after the, after uh, the was, press conference? It was good. I, you know, went in the locker room, talked to the kids a little bit, um, had them fill out something, um, you know, a little information for me, so it will help me start to get get to know the guys, get to know some names, um, and then I handed them the June schedule and, um, you know, told them, uh, you know, get get ready to go mentally. Um, obviously, I'm sure there's going to be some changes as far as style of play uh, a little bit uh, as we get into June and told them we're going to play a lot. And I said, uh, you know, we have weights in the morning. I'll be there. And, uh, you know, it's important to get in there and start lifting and, sure. and getting our bodies right for the basketball season. So so describe Bodie Bender's program. What would you say is kind of the foundation of your program? Uh, for us, and, you know, my last couple of years at Carroll, actually even the first year at Carroll, uh, in 1819, um, I, I would say we started on the defensive end. Um, we really um, emphasized what we were going to do defensively, and I, I think we really just brought it along offensively, especially this last year with what we did, uh, you know, statistically uh, on the offensive end. And, you know, I, I just think we have to have a foundation. I think the foundation is uh, on the defensive end. Um, but, you know, I'm going to let guys play offensively, too. I'm not sure. going to say, you know, defense, defense, defense. But, uh, you know, we build it on the defensive end and then went from there. And, um, you know, it just it, it built from there. And then, obviously, we had the results we had this year. Bodie Bender with us, the new Mishawaka boys basketball coach, introduced at a press conference earlier today. And that's kind of like you go from you were 9-12 and 12 in your first season Got gradually better every year you were there in the four years you were at Carroll, to, you know, up to 24-2 and two this year. Is is that essentially how you were able to get things turned around so quickly, kind of what you just talked about starting it with, with that base of defense, or was there something more to that? Yeah, I, I think it was, uh, you know, starting on, on the defensive end, and then as we started to become a little bit more skilled offensively, um, I would say we weren't quite as structured. We opened it up a little bit. Um, allowed kids to play a little bit more freely. Um, and, you know, from that, that I, I would say, again, that was a result from being 24-2 and two this year and, and uh, having a, an unbelievable run through the postseason. Well, and that's something that I heard you say at your press conference today, that there were times in the huddle where you'd kind of look at the kids and say, what do you, what do you think we should do here? Or, or, you know, what do you want to do here? And that's something – that I think not every coach is, is always comfortable doing, right. you know, to be quite right. honest. Where does, where does that kind of trust come from, I guess? I guess as you start to become more familiar um, and, and gain that, you know, relationship, build that relationship with kids, that's where that trust came from. And, um, you know, I thought we did, not just myself, but as a staff, we did a good job of building those relationships with kids, um, allowing a little bit more of those freedoms on the, on the, the basketball court and, you know, we have smart kids, <laughs> and when you have smart kids, that makes it a little bit easier to trust some of the decisions they make. Yeah, that Carroll job was your first as a head coach. Yet again, four seasons over there. So, what are maybe what's the most important thing or things that you know about being a head coach now that you didn't know four years ago going in? Oh man, uh, there's probably a laundry list of stuff. <laughs> um, um, you know, but I, I think the biggest thing is having a structure. Um, I, I thought we, you know, when I first started, I always had a structure. But I, I think what people don't realize as a head coach, uh, and I, I've told this to, to other other coaches that you don't realize that, you know, you come in and, and it could be in the middle of the season, you have three or four things you need to get done around, you know, teaching your classes or whatever. And you may show up on a Monday and you got to get these four things done before practice. And then all of a sudden, you got three more things that showed up on Monday that you got to take care of right. that you didn't realize would. So now you got seven or eight things you got to take care of. So uh, I would I would say, and, and you're always told this when you're going to get a basketball job that time management, you just don't realize it until you actually jump 
you know, in the hot seat and, and really figure it out. Yeah, exactly. No kidding. Well, you know, you beat the number one team in the state, Monroe Central, in the regional championship right. game there at Carroll this year. And it had been like, what, 10, 11 years since Carroll had even won a sectional. What was that whole experience like for you and, and the school oh, and the community? Um, yeah, so we played that game uh, down over in Lapel, uh, which was an absolute unbelievable atmosphere. Um, and like you said, they were ranked number one. They were 25-0. and 0. Um, I think we were 23-1 and 1 coming in. Um, you know, and I thought you know, we had a good shot at winning this thing. I thought, uh, you know, athletically we had a chance. Um, but to really, you know, really kind of put it on them, I, I think it was what the final was 44, 23. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we made it, we made it difficult on them defensively. Um, you know, you, you finally, at the end of the game, you know, winning a sectional is unbelievable. And it, it... uh Oh, can you still hear you know, me? To win, oh, there we go. Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, you, 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 you cut uh, out for a couple seconds there. So, oh, <laughs> you, you I, I had just said I, you had just said winning a sectional is unbelievable. Something, something along those lines. <laughs> okay, so winning a sectional is unbelievable. But when you go try, you know, you got to go win two games in one day in the regional. Right. Um, you know, like I told one newspaper reporter after the game, it's undescribable. Um, all the emotions kind of start coming out afterwards from a long week of preparing. Um, X and Oing, uh, talking to this media outlet, talking to that media outlet, trying to get things arranged with your, um, you know, athletic director for the weekend. Um, yeah, it's crazy. It was it was an indescribable feeling, and and I think like also that I, I like also what I said at the press conference. I hugged more people on the floor after that <laughs> game than I hugged at my wedding a couple of years ago. You know, that, so I, I say that rather jokingly. Right. Um, so yeah. Right. As far as your wife knows anyway, right? Right, 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 right. <laughs> well, you know, you are, you're, you're back closer to home again. You're, you, 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 you played in high school at Jimtown, but was it hard to, you know, to leave after an experience like that? Um, yeah, I mean, there's always, it's always bittersweet. Um, you know, we had one senior this year, everybody's back. The three leading scorers are back. So I think what I am proud of is, I've left the program in a in a better spot. Sure, um, and they're gonna they're gonna find a good coach. Um, so yeah, it was a little bittersweet, but you know nothing trumps coming home, being around family. Um, you know, having your your uh, new little one around their grandparents more. So yeah. that's obviously exciting for me, and and I I believe it's also exciting for my wife as well. Well, yeah, and I, you said something to the effect of you know the family can drive 15 minutes instead of what an hour and a right. half or something like that right. to, to if right. they want to come see a game so that's pretty cool right. obviously too right. Bodie Bender with us new Mishawaka boys basketball coach and you played for Randy Deshone there at Jimtown and mm -hmm. you coached under him when you were an mm -hmm. assistant as as well what are maybe some of the the, the things that you learned from him along the way uh, can you hear me yeah I can hear you oh okay Go ahead and ask that last part. You cut out for a second. What are some of the things that you uh, – most important things you learned from Deshaun along the way? Oh, man, I, I would say his structure, um, not only with practice and his, you know, his, his attention to detail and, and how he would break down film and scouting reports um, were things of, you know, were just unbelievable. And I, I think when I got my first job at Carroll, I tried to take some of those same things um, I thought our staff and our staff grew over the last couple of years. I added more coaches, um, you know, and I, I think they really did a good job of really hopping on board of, of what I brought and, and piggyback off of that. Actually, some of their scouting reports became better than mine. It was unbelievable. <laughs> they, were, they were so detailed, you know. So um, I would say those are the biggest things. And, and I would say another one that he, he was really good at communicating with kids. Okay. I mean, very, very important, I think, especially – today right. you know that, that communication aspect and the relationship aspect obviously you played with uh, another Jimtown guy who's also a head coach there at Mishawaka the football coach Keith Kinder back in high school what was uh, I think you're a couple years younger than him what was what was that like uh, back in the day right he he was a senior when I was a sophomore um it was just nice to ride on you know on his coattail uh <laughs> you know the success 
Uh, you know, you can't go wrong with 30 and 0 and two state titles as uh, as a player in in any sport, let alone what he did in football. Um, you know, so you know he's he's a good friend. Um, he was always one of those guys you looked up to in high school. Um, and I would say at this point, he'd probably laugh at you. You know, if he's one of those guys that actually hang out, you dropped whatever you're doing to go hang out with Keith Kinder. So um, <laughs> that's that's what I think of Keith, um, a high character guy. And, and I'm just excited to work alongside of him and with him as the transition goes from football into basketball. All right. Very cool. Very cool. A couple of Jimtown guys over there at Mishawaka High School now. I've got a couple more questions for you. And All right. I'll just, a lot of people are going to judge you based on what you, how you answer these couple questions here. All so, right. sectionals, blind draw or seed, which, what, what, what do you, what do you think oh, is the right way to go? Man. I'm hitting you hard okay. here. I'm hitting you hard. Okay. <laughs> so, I got, I got two, I got two examples of this. So, okay. I think my first couple of years at Carroll, nine and 12, 12 and 11, I was like, oh, blind draw, blind draw. <laughs> uh huh. Uh, I would say this past year, you know, going in, what were we, 21 and one. Um, and we struggled because we got the first round by and then got the semifinal one, a very close game to, you know, a 500 Fountain Central team. I would have said this year, man, I want to go seeding. You know? <laughs> so, and, and we had about the about as good a draw as you could have, but I, I, this year I'd say seeding. That's seed it. That's funny because you know there's always some kind of controversy someplace. You know, when when the draw comes out and right. we we polled a lot of area coaches in all different sports a few years ago when there was kind of one of these big controversies and it was split exactly the way you said it it basically right. the coaches from the better teams said yeah we got to seed it and the you know and the coaches <laughs> from the teams that are you know kind of down there at the bottom said oh blind, you know blind draws the way to go so right that's, that's why right. it'll never get solved that's why it'll never change i think okay bigger picture now we've seen a lot of states or you know at least a few states adding the the shot clock the past few years oh in high school what do you what do you think about that idea shot clock in high school basketball uh, i gotta can i can i plead the fifth <laughs> i mean it's not gonna make good radio for me but you can if you want uh, to i guess <laughs> I, I i guess in the past and i know indianapolis has got probably a bigger influence than any schools outside of indianapolis right in the past i would say you know i, I was kind of opposed to the shot clock but if you're going to put one in, you know, I could see it being 40, 45 seconds. Well, at this point, yeah. the way teams are playing now, does it, does it really matter? Yeah. I mean, so if you put one in, that's fine. I mean, I think it'll speed up the game a little bit. I also think, you know, so you don't take some of the purity away from basketball, I, I would hope it would be where you wouldn't see these teams now just sit in a zone. Right. Right. So. That's, I think, I think I, kind of along the lines of what you're saying. Right there, right. I would agree. Like if if you're gonna, right. it needs to be at least forty seconds. I think, if like you said, right. if not a little bit more. Right. So, right. All right, Bodie Bender, head coach, new head coach of the Mishawaka Boys basketball team. Congratulations again, Bodie. It was great uh, seeing you today, and uh, great to talk to you. Good luck over there at the school board meeting tonight. I'll keep my fingers hey. crossed for you. Hey, thank you. I appreciate. It. Hopefully, it's five zero. She said it might go three two. I don't know. So <laughs> I said, well, then the two must be coming from you, Keith. That's so right. Know. Pay somebody off over there. I right. Guess. Right. All right. All right. Thanks again, Bodie. Take care. Congratulations. All right, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank yep, you. Absolutely, Bodie right, Bender, bye. new uh, boys basketball coach at Mishawaka High School, introduced at the press conference earlier today. So uh, you know, kind of straddled the fence a little bit on you know the whole sectional thing. But again, we polled. A lot of, I think we pulled close to 50, 60 coaches or something like that, Vince D'Addario and I, a couple of years ago when there was one of the big controversies going on with, you know, the blind draw and the sectional, and you had the two best teams playing each other in the first round and all that, and it was pretty much split exactly the way Bodie said it right there. If you came from one of the uh, traditionally better programs, you know, you're, you're winning year in and year out, then you were all for seeding it if you were from a program that wasn't as good blind draw take your chance with a blind draw and see what happens and you know again that's why nothing has ever changed with it because the coaches vote on it and if the coaches don't want to get it passed then it's not going to happen and you know so uh it sticks with tradition good or bad that's basically where they are right now but uh, congratulations again to Bodie Bender new head coach new head boys basketball coach at Mishawaka High school sounds like they've got a good one and uh, comes back close to home. Went to Jimtown a couple years behind uh, 
the football coach Keith Kinder over there at uh, at Jimtown. We're going to take a timeout. When we come back, we've got more Budweiser's weekday sports beat on the way. Jess is going to join me in the 6 o'clock hour as well for Rapid Fire. That is coming up on Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Budweiser's weekday sports beat continues on Sports Radio 960 AM. WSBT, few things going on here and there. This is uh, tomorrow, the full NFL schedule for the upcoming season will be announced. So that'll be tomorrow night. All teams will find out what their schedule is going to look like. But the NFL has been doing the kind of slow release this week, Uh, a different game or two. Per day, you know, they announced the international games earlier this week. They announced one of the three Christmas Day games that are going to take place uh, yesterday. It's going to be the Denver Broncos and the defending Super Bowl champion Los Angeles Rams. We uh, also heard the uh, the two the Monday Night Football doubleheader that's going to take place in week two. And today they only announced one game, but it is. Uh, you know, one of the more marquee games on the schedule, a game that's always going to get a lot of eyeballs in uh, Green Bay. It'll be the Packers and the Cowboys, Week 10. That'll be November 13th. Uh, you know, so Mike McCarthy going into his third season as head coach of the Cowboys. He will make his first return trip to Green Bay since he was fired in December of 2018. And uh, this is a game that hasn't uh, they haven't they used to kind of play all the time, but not well not all the time, but semi regularly anyway. Obviously, a lot of it it is determined by you know your schedule and or, or you know your record from the previous year and all that stuff. You play a first place schedule, but it's been three years since they've played, so it'll be Cowboys and Packers week ten, November thirteenth. I'll be interested to see since the full schedule comes out tomorrow night. Do they also give us a little teaser? with, uh, you know, kind of another marquee game tomorrow afternoon ahead of the full announcement tomorrow night, and that's going to take place at 8 o'clock. Some White Sox news today. Sox and Guardians game that was supposed to take place today has been postponed due to COVID-19. Multiple members of the Cleveland Indian or Cleveland Guardians, my apologies, Cleveland Guardians uh, tested positive, including the manager, Terry Francona. He uh, was announced earlier today that he had tested positive, was not experiencing symptoms. So kind of starting to see, you know, some more, you know, COVID starting to pop back up again, just when you kind of think that, uh, you know, maybe we were done with it. But uh, you're seeing more uh, more cases pop up once again. So Francona and a few other um, Guardians positive. So no Sox Guardians game today. They have not announced a makeup date for that yet. Some more promising news for the White Sox, though, is outfielder Eloy Jimenez, the former South Bend Cub, who uh, was traded to the White Sox in uh, the Quintana deal a few years back. He was expected to miss six to eight weeks after he tore a hamstring back on April 23rd. But uh, he said yesterday or earlier this week, I guess, actually, that he's going to be back sooner then later, he said that he's making quick strides in his recovery. He's pain-free, uh, running and swinging. And the running is the most important part when you're talking about a hamstring. But, you know, he had the ruptured left pectoral last year, got off to a little bit of a slow start this year before he tore that hamstring. But uh, it is sounding like maybe he gets back soon. And the warm weather's got to help as well now that it is already warming up, you know, with that hamstring and you know and like it not going to get as tight but you know it's still I, I think that they'll probably I would imagine they will still kind of take the cautious route you know with that and not pushing back too soon because you know again they were talking six to eight weeks April 23rd so you know we're still talking about what just about two and a half weeks ago or so or three weeks ago it hasn't even been you know that long so uh, we'll see again you know they were originally saying six to eight weeks and he's saying sooner than later sooner than later so we'll see what happens with Eloy Jimenez as the uh, the White Sox start to uh, to get hot after 
You know, they had really obviously been slumping pretty bad, but they're sitting at 15 and 14, game over 500 right now. They've won six out of their last seven. And again, no game today against Cleveland. They will host the Yankees tomorrow night to begin that weekend series. We'll take a timeout when we come back. We've got a Sports Center update coming up, and then hour two, the abbreviated hour with South Bend Cubs baseball, just a little bit more than an hour away in the pregame at 6:45. Jess and I will have rapid fire for you. That's coming up next on Budweiser's weekday sports beat. You are listening to Budweiser's weekday sports beat with Sean Styers. On Sports Radio 960 AM, WSBT. Who wants to have some fun? Rapid Fire starts now on Sports Radio 960 AM, WSBT. And now your host, Sean Styers. Got South Bend Cubs baseball coming up here in about 38 minutes, I guess, is when the pregame starts. So Jesse Styers and I will uh, run you through rapid fire tonight. Jesse, with this first one, fill in the blank. It is blank that Mike Bray said this in regards to NIL in college athletics. Quote, we've got to stop complaining. This is the world we're in, and last time I checked, we make pretty good money, so everybody should shut up and adjust. End quote. Go. It is fair of Mike Bray to say this. New guidelines were released Monday that, that boosters or collectives who contact recruits or sign athletics to contracts uh, are, are contingent upon players' attendance at a particular school are breaking NCAA rules. Uh, no new rules were provided. Rather, it was a clarification of the definition of what a booster was. Uh, basically, <laughs> coaches and administrators have publicly called for more help in recent weeks, and this is why the clarification came out on Monday. Um, it, basically, there's we've talked about it. You know, there's broadly written rules that make it difficult for the NCAA to separate deals made by private businesses uh, for an athlete's service, services off the field um, with the intent of securing the athlete services on the field. The coaches and admins asked for new rules and got clarifications. Since they were met with no real answers after asking, I do believe it is now time to move on and adjust to what is now the current standard. It is wasted time and effort to try to complain about something that is not going to change. Uh, I don't agree with what the current rules are, and we discussed last week what my changes would be, uh, but unfortunately nothing has really changed uh, and, and since they released this quote-unquote clarification on Monday, it's just really time to move on and adapt because you're just going to have a lot of wasted breath and effort uh, trying to change something that really isn't going to change. Yeah, when you were trying to clarify the clarification of the NCAA, my eyes just started to glaze over, and I was like, what is he saying? I don't know. <laughs> and that's that's what the NCAA is, man. And that's, you know, like – from Bray's perspective, it's like, look, NIL is here. It's only been here for 10 months. Is it a mess? Of course it's a mess. But it's here. And like you said, you, you, you know, you might as well stop complaining about it and figure out how to deal with it because that's what everyone is going to have to do. You're just going to have to suck it up and deal with it. I love the, you know, the pragmatic you know, kind of stance that he's taken on this whole thing. That's what it is. You know, it's like shut up and deal with it. That's that's what you've got to do. If you're a coach, what's what's you know like once a game starts, what's the most important thing that a coach? One of the most important things that a coach has to do, you've got to adjust. You got to figure out how to adjust to what's thrown your way, and that's exactly what he's talking about right now. You know, coaches have made great money for a long time. Administrators have made great money for a long time. The schools have made great money for a long time, and of course, the NCAA itself has made boatloads of money for a long time and now the players are finally getting their share of this whole pie you know their piece of the pie and you just got to figure out how to deal with it you know the, the like all the stuff that you're talking about there yes that needs to be addressed the NCAA needed to clamp down on that stuff but it is also stuff that they should have been clamping down on to begin with because Essentially, all of this stuff that the NCAA is talking about that they can crack down, you know, whether it's boosters or these organizations, that's all stuff that was against recruiting rules, you know, to to begin with. But they were sitting there, 
turning a blind eye because, well, NIL, you know, we didn't institute this thing. The states instituted this thing. And, you know, so it's – but, you know, Mike Bray is absolutely right. There's no use complaining about it. You just have to deal with it. Get it, get it figured out. You have no choice. You only must figure it out. Fill in the blank on this next one as well. It is blank that Fox has made Tom Brady the highest paid TV sports analyst ever, signing him to a 10-year contract worth $375 million. It is astounding that Tom Brady will make $375 million over 10 years to be Fox New Sports Analyst. Brady has made $318 million over the last 23 years of his NFL career. Yes. So now he's going to make roughly 15% more money yes. and roughly half half the amount of time. Um, and on yes. top of that, he doesn't have to put his body through any physical labor. Yes. He doesn't have to worry about getting drilled by opposing defensive players at, yes. the age, at his old age. Uh, you know, Chris Brockman tweeted yesterday, a guy that uh, is is uh, on Rich Eisen's show, uh-huh. uh, one of his kind of crew Brockman guys. with the news. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> that he, Remember that? that? He, exactly. That he couldn't believe that Brady was going the TV route and not the coaching GM route. But why would he? He's going to make the same amount of money, if not more, for half That's, the amount of the work. He's not going to make it. It's a no-brainer. Nobody, nobody in the front office is making that kind of money. $37 million bucks a year. Nobody's making that kind of money in the front office. This is... You just said he's played for more than 20 years in the NFL and he hasn't made this kind of money. Who, who would turn that kind of money down? Uh, it's it's just astounding. And yeah, exactly. And like I like I mentioned before, kind of highlighted just a little bit ago, it's like half the amount of work you prepare yeah. for one or two two games a week. You fly you know, to wherever. You have the big cheat sheet in front of you and you just kind of go about it. And for someone like Tom Brady who's played for so long, it's like, reading the alphabet you know he he's he's one of the best to ever do it he has one of the best minds to ever do it it's like it reminds me of tony romo but maybe on a little bit more steroids uh when it comes <laughs> to what his sport sports analyst you know career could be the only thing i worry about is brady's tv uh and presence on air he has always been kind of an awkward guy to me and that was that was proven when he appeared on the manning cast last season um but knowing tom brady i feel like he well, he will get it figured out <laughs> see that's that's the question because you know tony romo was an unknown coming into this whole deal and you know what tony romo this is according to tony romo and i completely believe it when when cbs decided they were going to hire him he did like 50 practice games over the summer, like the spring and the summer leading up to, you know, he he was practicing. How do you get to Carnegie Hall? Practice, 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 you know. And so Romo came in, and he was able to light the world on fire. And really, Tom Brady owes this contract because there's a lot of different ways to go with this whole thing. And, and you covered, I think, one of the biggest ones, just the sheer amount of money that he's going to make. And he's not just going to be analyzing games. He's also going to be – a Fox ambassador. So like, in other words, I think he's going to be the guy who, you know, when it's, they, they the networks do these upfronts when they make their presentations, you know, to the big sponsors and all this different stuff. And I think Brady is going to be the guy like, you know, he'll cozy up to the, to the rich people with the money and stuff like that. Get a picture with Tom Brady, hang out with Tom Brady, you know, do all these things, make people feel good about their affiliation and stuff like that. You know, in addition that's part of why I think he's making 375 million bucks over 10 years, not just being in the booth, but go back to how we got to this point, a 10 year, $375 million contract with Tom Brady, because I've seen some of the people were trying to guess like earlier before the Troy Aikman contract, how much money Tom Brady could, could command. And it was somewhere in like in the 20 millions, but if you follow the Romo trail, so like go back, Roma has the injury in 2016. He retires in 2016. So 2017 rolls around. Romo replaces Phil Simms as the number one analyst with Jim Nance on CBS. And he's an overnight sensation. Now, again, a lot of work that he put into it to get there. But here's Romo predicting plays. He's got all this excitement, this energy. He's new. Tons better than Phil Simms. It rejuvenates Jim Nance's career. Jim Nance overnight seems like a better play-by-play guy just because he's got Tony Romo with all this, you know, ball of energy. But 
He's the outlier because great analysts don't just grow on trees. So ESPN, like everyone after Romo then, tries to get the next Romo. They're trying to get the next best thing. ESPN the next year, remember what happened? They hired Romo's best friend, Jason Witten, the tight end for the Monday Night Football booth. And, of course, along with the Booger Mobile, but that was just a total disaster. Jason Witten was not good. He had nowhere near the sharpness of Tony Romo. He's like, what, what was the thing that he's, Jason Witten said? You know, oh, you watch me pull a rabbit out of my head or something like that instead of out of my hat. But, you know, so the Witten experiment fails. ESPN, in the meantime, they've been trying to get Peyton Manning forever. Manning finally comes to the booth, but he goes this completely different route with, with his brother Eli, you know, the, the less traditional Monday Night Football booth. And then Romo becomes the highest paid analyst on TV last year, in part because ESPN wants him. So he's got this leverage that he can play because ESPN hadn't yet brought over Aikman and Buck. So he's negotiating between CBS and ESPN. He becomes the highest paid analyst on TV, you know, because CBS has to pony up. Well, what's that lead to? Here's Troy Aikman, who's been doing the job for more than 20 years. He's got the Super Bowl rings with the Cowboys, and he apparently you know, was, was pretty upfront about the fact that he wanted to make more money than Tony Romo. So Aikman gets ESPN to open up the vault. It makes him the highest-paid analyst. He leaves Fox. Fox says they're not going to overpay to keep Aikman and Buck. Joe Buck goes with him. There's this talk. Then at that point, just last week, that Drew Brees could go to Fox. And remember now, Brees had a deal that was similar to what Brady's doing, you know, of course, for less money, but he was still playing when he signed his contract with NBC. And then he retires. He starts working for NBC. There was the thought that he was going to maybe, you know, take Chris Collinsworth's job. Again, just because you're a Hall of Fame quarterback doesn't mean you're a Hall of Fame announcer they still NBC still couldn't find the next Romo maybe this whole breeze thing getting out in the media you know was kind of some leverage for Fox to go to Tom Brady and say hey we're talking to Drew Breeze over here you know do you want this deal or not you know so they sign him before he's even retired but Breeze obviously hasn't turned into the next Romo or even you know the next Aikman either one of those guys but now Again, all the dominoes have kept falling into place. Tom Brady becomes the highest-paid analyst in sports. Third-highest-paid TV personality I think I saw ever. He hasn't even called a game yet. ESPN's going to have Aikman and Buck. Those two combined are going to make just a little bit more than Brady alone is going to make for being in the Fox booth as the number one analyst whenever he does decide to retire. But all of this, you know, again, like follow the, the, the trail – this all leads back to the Romo effect, the Romo phenomenon. When he came off the field and into the booth, you know, he wasn't the highest paid guy right away. He turned into the highest paid guy because he became in demand. And just within, you know, just, just a few months ago, Tony Romo was still the highest paid analyst in sports. Then it became Troy Aikman, and Aikman didn't even have that title very long. Now it's Tom Brady. So it is all. You know, Tom Brady makes sense, but going back to what you said, what's he actually going to be when he's in the booth? You know, I could see where he's got some Romo in him, you know, where like he's predicting the plays before they happen and all that stuff. But what kind of time is he going to put into the preparation to be the number one announcer? Because he is the number one. He's going to be the number one announcer once he does decide to retire. You know, are they going to be overpaying him to, to, you know, to sit in that booth, is he actually going to live up to it? Because now he's got to, you know, it's one thing to perform on the field, but as Drew Brees and a lot of other people have found out, Jess, it's like you've got to be able to uh, to react pretty quickly when you're sitting in that booth. And how critical are you going to be, you know, about the guys who you just got done playing with? That's a big part of being in that booth as well. So I'm really curious to see Tom Brady's the go to the football field but what's he going to be once he gets in that booth? Is he going to be worth that $37.5 bucks a year? I don't know. Do you think he's going to be? You know, I, it's hard to say because I don't think 
in, in my personal opinion, I don't think he'll be better than, than Tony Romo. I think Tony Romo has a better personality. I think Tony Romo has uh, a, a different kind of sense of humor and being able to kind of laugh at himself sometimes when, when, he, when, you know, when he messes up. Right. Uh, and so I don't think that he's going to be worth more than what Tony Romo brings. So in my opinion, no, I don't think he's worth um, that kind of money. But when you factor in the fact that he's this Fox ambassador and other things that come with that, it's hard to tell what those roles include uh, as well. I think, you know, like these guys like Brady and Aikman, like when they look at Romo, I think they look down on him, you know, and they think like, well, you know, I, I, I've got all these rings. I was better than Romo on the field. I deserve more than, the, you know, and like Aikman is a good analyst himself, but Romo and Aikman are two different kinds of analysts. I'm, I'm, I really want to see what Brady is going to be like because it is one thing even to be interviewed and, you know, dodge questions or, you know, have an idea of what you want to say. But once you're in that booth and the game is live and you've got to start responding and have something to say on every single play as that game goes on, some of it, stuff you might not be that comfortable with, Drew Brees, how are you going to react to that? Brady's, Brady's getting paid a lot of money to react to that now. All right, let's take a timeout. When we come back, Jason Hayward is the albatross. One of the albatrosses hanging over the Chicago Cubs right now. What should be Jason Hayward's future? We'll talk about that and more when Rapid Fire and Budweiser's weekday sports beat continue on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. Budweiser's weekday sports beat and rapid fire continue on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT with Jesse Styers, Sean Styers. All right, Jess, Cubs fan, next year is the eighth and final year of Jason Hayward's contract with the Cubs. He currently has a negative war, minus .1. He's got a $22 million contract next year that is guaranteed. So my question is, do you keep him or cut him and clear the way for some of these top prospects to start playing more as much as i despise hayward's contract (laughs) and the fact that i've been on board with doing anything possible to not play jason hayward or find a way to offload his contract unfortunately at 22 million a year you can't really do that uh especially with his offensive production no one's going to want to absorb that hit um and lack of productivity um at this point you've endured all the other years i see no point in really cutting him at this at this point in time I think keeping him around as a bench guy to mentor some of these younger prospects or even as a late-inning defensive replacement is a role that he would maybe excel in or fit him best. Uh, Jason Hayward has has one of the best defensive war numbers out there. Uh, As it is, you know, it's really at a Hall of Fame level. Unfortunately, when you combine his offensive war with his defensive war, you get a pretty average to below average uh, number, which is what you're seeing this year. You know, his defensive war is like, top 10 top five over the last you know ever since he's been with the cubs so that's not the issue it's the the issue is is that his declining offensive productivity just eats away um at his overall war number and and so in today's game you have to be able to hit and jason hasn't been able to figure that out for some years now it's it's unfortunate to see um because i do respect his defensive game and you know the the defensive war that he brings to things um but but to kind of wrap this up i i just They've endured the $22 million a year, uh, you know, ever since that contract started. So to me, it's just I I don't see the point of just one more year of just kind of letting it ride out uh, and hope that you can get some sort of marginal effort uh, from him. Yeah, and the bad thing is his production has not gotten better. You know, it's like there was a time where it's like, oh, you know, Hayward, uh, you know, somewhat better, but never it's never lived up to what they're paying him. And I, I agree. It's like you're going to have to eat $22 million bucks, you know. So you could argue, well, you've got to eat it either way, so why not just eat it and cut him and, you know, and then clear the way and let some of these guys, some of these prospects come up and play. I, I You know, I just, because of the fact that you do have to pay that, I just don't think that you can do it. I, you know, I think maybe best-case scenario, because he's still not, not going to be, tradable until like maybe next year midway through the season like if a contender would want him because of his defense and if he is maybe hitting a little bit better I just think best case scenario 
that's what's going to happen is you're able to offload some of that salary next year before the trade deadline. Otherwise, you know, maybe you cut him midway through the season next year if you're starting to talk about some of these prospects. But I, I just, you know, I think you keep him around. You, you, you're basically stuck with a situation. It's a no-win situation. He is a good leader. He's a veteran presence. He does give you good defense. I think he's a platoon player. Unfortunately, a $22 million platoon player, but I don't think that you cut him either. I think that you've got to basically kind of grin and, and bear it and uh, ride it out for the next year and a half. All right, Dallas, Texas Mayor Eric Johnson thinks the city of Dallas is deserving of an NFL expansion team. He tweeted, quote, we're about to pass the Chicago metro area and become the number three metro in the U.S., which would make up the largest U.S. Metro without two NFL teams. Football is king here. Dallas needs an expansion team, and we would be able to sustain two teams. End quote. So do you buy or sell a second NFL team in the Dallas Metroplex being viable, Jesse? I buy that it is a viable option and that Dallas can make it work. However, I sell the idea that Dallas actually needs another NFL team. I think that Dallas specifically the Cowboys have already established themselves as what is known as America's team. To me, there is just too much rich history with the Cowboys in Dallas that it could be t that it could take away uh, from one of the most storied franchises in the history of all sports. Uh, furthermore, I don't think that the current NFL needs any more expansion teams. As it stands, the NFL consists of two conferences, four divisions, and four teams um, in each division, so a total of 32 teams. If you add one uh, expansion team, you know, it's got to go either to the NFC or the AFC, and now you have um, uneven conferences, so you'd actually have to add another expansion team to level them back out. Um, and then now if you add, you know, one, one, one team on each conference, uh, now, the, now all the, the divisions become unequal because you'd have one division with a fifth team. Um, and then so then, in my opinion, you'd have to add – three more teams to each division on each side so a total of eight expansion teams so i just think it gets a little too convoluted too murky when you start talking about adding expansion teams just because of how balanced the nfl already is like i was saying earlier you have two conferences four divisions and four teams in each division it's just the perfect balance um, and if you start adding expansion teams, you got to figure out how to level things out on each side. And that doesn't become possible until you have five teams um, in each division. So you'd add eight more teams and have almost, you know, not almost, you'd have a total of 40 teams altogether. And I just think that that's way too much and too far-fetched right now. I don't mind relocating teams to new cities, but expansion is just too much in my opinion. I mean, as far as the city of Dallas, I, I think the NFL is going to continue to expand at some point. Maybe San Antonio or Austin could make sense. I just don't think it makes sense in Dallas. Like, you have one of the most iconic, if not the most iconic brand in the NFL and in all of sports. I just don't, you know, I can, you know, again, like they brought in the Houston Texans after the Oilers went to Tennessee back in the, in, in the 90s. They brought in the Texas Texans several years back you know you're still as big as texas is it's like the dallas cowboys the houston texans you know maybe in houston you're, you're pretty much centralized dallas is a national brand i just don't see a, an expansion team in dallas being able to compete with the dallas cowboys for fandom for merchandise for anything i i just don't see it happening it's like los angeles They've got two teams, and you know they have a you know Los Angeles is different because it's it's not as rabid for football as as like Texas, but still, you know you've got the Rams, you've got the Chargers, and you've got more fans of the Rams. But I, I maybe the Lakers are even the better the better example here because you you know again like. You've got one of the more iconic brands, the Los Angeles Lakers. Now, the Clippers have had a few good years, but they're still swallowed up by the Lakers in that market. That is a Lakers city. Dallas is a Cowboys city. It is a national brand. I just I don't I don't think that any expansion team could compete for fans, for revenue, for anything 
in the Dallas Metroplex. I just don't see it happening. All right, speaking of the Cowboys, the NFL announced another game for the upcoming season today. Cowboys at Packers, November 5th, uh, 13th. rather. My question is, how much would you pay for a ticket to go see that game? In 2019, the average ticket cost was $248 for all NFL games. In the 2021 season, that number jumped to $465 on average for one NFL ticket. Uh, the NFL saw, you know, limited to no fans due to COVID the year before, so that the, there was a real high jump um, in the overall price. Uh, you know, and and then and furthermore, it, the Cowboys' home tickets were like $750 per ticket. <laughs> Uh, which led the NFL. The Packers were fourth amongst home teams of just uh, just about $500. But how much would um, you personally pay? How much are you willing to pay to go see that game is my question. I guess what I'm saying is I, I would pay $300 or <laughs> $350, okay. but I'm outlining how unrealistic that is. Right. You know, it doesn't really matter how much I would pay when – the average cost for a Cowboys or you're Packers saying there's no way you're ticket. gonna there's no way you're gonna get that price unless they're both 500 teams going into that game. <laughs> yeah, so like between the two, it costs around 600 dollars to see the Cowboys and Packers play, and I would spend 300 to 350 dollars. So I might be lucky to get that at the very very top in the nosebleeds, the very highest you know row in the stadium. So I would pay three hundred to three fifty, but I just don't think that that is very realistic. Yeah, that's like that's probably somewhere around my limit as well. Maybe five hundred bucks. You know, like if there was like some big outing that was planned, and it's like you know you're gonna go I up there that and... for a Cowboys Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, and you wouldn't get into that one either, unfortunately. I that's think... what I mean. I know, I know. It you know it's like. You'd be lucky if you'd pay that to sit up at the top of the stadium for five hundred bucks. So, yeah, I, I'm I'm the same. It's like I, I, that's 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 an intriguing game because I've never been to Lambeau and you got the Cowboys and the Packers there and all that kind of stuff. But man, it's just the prices just get outrageous. And I, yeah, so I think I'm I'm capped at like four to five hundred bucks basically myself. All right, Jess, that is going to do it for tonight. Good stuff as always. I will talk to you later. Enjoy the weather. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. I got to get this uh, this lawn mowed. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Luckily, it's a little bit nice and not, not too hot at this point. Uh-huh. Have fun with that then. All right. Talk to you later. We're brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend, Tim Ground State Farm Insurance, Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, and the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. That is going to do it. Budweiser's weekday sports beat tonight. We'll talk to you tomorrow night. We've got South Bend Cubs baseball coming up next. Brennan and Max at Four Winds Field. Cubs have won seven straight. Are you a business owner worried about the safety of your sensitive data? Look no further than Midwest Data Depot, your local off-site backup storage solution. Contact us today. Visit MidwestDataDepot.com.